Psalm 22, verses 1 through 31. Yes, I'm serious. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 31, which can be found on page 440 in our Pew Bibles, or 857 in the large print. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for the ways that you do reveal yourself to us. God, that we can trust you based on what you have revealed, even in times where we don't see what's going on. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see you more clearly this morning. That you would give us minds to understand you better. You would give us hearts to love you more and hands to serve you well. Lord, we pray that you would continue the work that you have begun in us, changing us by your word and your spirit into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 22, the Psalm of David, written roughly a thousand years before the time of Jesus. For the director of music to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, if you don't mind playing that, Debbie. No, just kidding. That's not a real thing. (laughs) But this would have been a song. Uh, So we actually have the tune direction there. A Psalm of David. And as you hear the words of this psalm a thousand years before the time of Jesus, many, many years before crucifixion was even invented, it's really hard to hear this without having the image of Jesus on the cross. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. He delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs, 
Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Turning then to 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. It should be found on page 981 in a few Bibles, or 1889 in the large print. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Peter writes, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this is the first Sunday in Lent, this season of Lent, of preparation for Easter. And we, are, we have been lately in a series through the book of Acts, and we are going to pause for the season of Lent. And uh, rather than continuing our series through Acts for now, we are going to take a closer look at the cross during this season, and uh, specifically at the words that Jesus says while he's on the cross that are recorded for us in the Gospels. There are seven different things he says. Um, None of the Gospels record all of them, but they each record some things that he said, and so we will go through uh, week after week. We're not taking these necessarily in chronological order, just taking each one of these statements as uh, kind of a standalone and what we can learn from that about what's going on with um, who Jesus is, what it meant for him to die on the cross, and what that means for us even today. For today, then we are looking at Matthew chapter 27, verses 32 through 46. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. 
and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know if you heard in the description leading up to what Jesus says, a lot of parallels with Psalm 22 and what we just read from that psalm of everyone coming by and hurling insults at him, saying, he trusted God, and this is what he gets? Why doesn't he save himself? Why doesn't God save him now? Come on. And then we hear these words of Jesus. Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we could take this phrase, and we could kind of super-spiritualize it. I think we'd miss it if we do. Because what Jesus is saying here is the same thing we have probably all said at one time or another. When something bad is happening, and the first question that comes to mind is, why? Why? Why is this happening? Why me? Why now? Why? And it's sort of this desperate cry. But it's also not just a cry seeking understanding. But it's a cry seeking meaning. Because when we say, why is this happening? We expect that there will be an answer. Maybe we won't hear it. Maybe we won't know it for a long time. But we expect that there is some kind of an answer, that there is a meaning for this. That is not just meaningless suffering or tragedy. And as you know, if you have experienced any kind of tragedy, whether on a national level or the closer to home, the louder the cry, you know you have this why that just wells up inside you. Why is this happening? This is the question that Jesus asked. Why? And if you take this in the context of how people usually operate, it makes sense at this level too. Because the way that we normally operate is we think, if I do what I'm supposed to do, if I live right, good things will happen. And so you have a situation where you have somebody who is really, really health conscious, and they do all their exercises, and they eat all their fruits and vegetables, and they do everything Uh, very healthy diet, very healthy lifestyle, very healthy everything. And then 
drop dead of an aneurysm in the mid-30s. And you say, that's not the way it's supposed to work. We had a deal here. (laughs) That's what we feel like. And so we say, why would something like that happen to somebody like this? Because we thought we knew how it worked. If we do it all right, if we kind of play by the rules, then we're in control, and we're not in control. I hate to break it to you. We're not in control. But we feel like this kind of contract has been violated, and so we have to ask why. Why is this happening? And if you ever start feeling this way, please, 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 remember Jesus on the cross. Because if there's ever anybody who lived right, who deserved not to be crucified, it was him. And here we see him nailed hands and feet to the cross until he dies. And so we have the cry, why? Why? But if we look a little closer, he's not just saying, why is this happening? That's a natural cry. (laughs) He's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we may have felt that one too. And that may be what's partly behind our cries of why is this happening. We don't just feel like things are out of control. We feel like maybe things are still in control but God has forgotten about me. He's still keeping up his deals with everybody else, but not for me. Why? Why has he left me? Why me? Why now? And most of the time, when we have this question, we are not given an answer. And it's really frustrating because we really want to know. But I would suggest that the answer that we most need is actually the answer that we see here. See, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And out of respect for your ears and the new speakers, I'm not going to say this at the volume he probably said it. But it says in verse 46, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He screams this out. He is on the cross. And what he's feeling hurts like hell. And I don't say that to be gratuitous. I say that theologically. Because what he's experiencing for the first time ever in all of history is a separation of God the Father and God the Son. That has never happened before. Not when he was born, not when he was living, not through everything. Not even in the creation of the world were they separated. But now he feels that separation. And what is hell but a separation from God? This is why when we say in the Apostles' Creed that he descended into hell. He felt that separation from God. Now, let me ask you again. When he says this, this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think he feels forsaken? Do you think he feels the pain of that? Much more. Much more than the physical pain of the cross. 
This is the kind of pain that those of us who are still alive have never felt the depths of. Those who are on the other crosses, dealing with the same physical pain, are joining in, heaping abuse on him. They're not crying out like this. He's crying out because of the depth of his pain. Spiritually, even greater than physically. And I told you that the answer to our question of why is here. It's actually all over the New Testament. Testament. But what we just read in 1 Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. When we have communion, we always use the same words. The words that Jesus said, this is how we are to, to do this. Remembrance of him. That it's the body of Jesus that has been given for you. And it's the blood of Jesus that has been given for you. And so when we look at Jesus on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We actually do get an answer to that question. Why did God turn away from him? For you. Jesus experienced the rejection of God, the turning away. I don't know if you know this. Maybe you've experienced it before. Where you try to talk to somebody and they ignore you. Doesn't feel very good, does it? And it's not so bad if it's a mild acquaintance or whatever employee at a store, but the closer that relationship is, the more you feel it. Can you imagine having a really, really, really close relationship with someone for all of eternity (laughs) and then having them turn a cold shoulder right when you feel like you need them the most? Why? For you. One other thing I want to point out. You may have noticed that that what Jesus says is actually a direct quote from Psalm 22. There's been a lot of discussion as to whether he intended just that line or for us to call up the whole psalm and all that sort of thing. I don't know. But I do think it's worth noting that when Jesus is at his lowest the lowest of the low, when he is strung out physically, when he is completely um, abandoned spiritually. And he cries out in a loud voice. What comes out of him, what comes out of the depths of his being, is scripture. It is the word of God, still coming forth. Jesus says in another place, um, that what is 
Oh, I got to get the words right. Mark 10. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's what it is. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so even on the cross, as he speaks, this is what comes out. His scripture, the word of God, which is what he is full of. Everyone in this room today will experience events in this life that don't seem fair. Everyone in this room today will experience things in this life where it seems like God's not holding up his end of the deal because we're not getting what we feel like we ought to deserve. Everyone in this room will have a time where we feel like screaming at the heavens, why, why, why? And most of us won't be told an answer. But. You're glad I'm not ending right there. But. (laughs) But. Because we are told with Jesus that even the one who least deserved it got the worst of it. We know that even when God seems the most absent, He's still at work. By the way, we didn't read this part. But here's what happens just a little bit later. Verse verse 47, when those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah, because they misunderstood him. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him regarding, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. When he's on the cross and he's crying out and everything is darkness and it looks like there is no hope and that God has abandoned him and it's all over, we see that God is still at work because a little while after this, we see what it's all for. And we see the temple curtain torn in two. We see that uh, Jesus is abandoned by God so that we can come close to God. We see the... Uh, tombs opening up and dead people coming back to life. We see Jesus dying so that we can have life. And we see the earth shaking as a symbol and a sign of the new creation that is beginning. Why was Jesus forsaken? For you. For you. He took what we deserved so that we could have what he deserved. Talk to the kids about a gift card. This is the greatest gift card there ever is, ever has been, that you will ever receive. May we all remember and receive it, not only here, but in here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.